Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I'm David Greenstein, and we are looking today at uh, page 37, Daf Lamed Zion, Masechet Beitza, Tractate Beitza. This page of Talmud continues discussing uh, the issue of the parameters of what is permissible and what is not permissible to do on Yom Tov. Uh, we know that the Mishnah on the previous page gave us one big distinction between Shabbat and Yom Tov. Ein ben Shabbat Yom Tov ochel nefesh bilvat. That the only uh, difference between Shabbat, in which so much is prohibited, and Yom Tov and festivals, is that on festivals we are permitted to do things for the sake of preparing a meal for ourselves. The Talmudic discussion explores whether that's completely accurate or not. What we find out, of course, is that there are more expansive views and less expansive views with regard to what is permitted or not permitted on Yom Tov beyond strictly the question of Ochel Nefesh. The House of Shammai, Beit Shammai, basically restricts all permissible activities on Yom Tov to only those that contribute directly to uh, preparing a meal. Beit Hillel, the House of Hillel, uh, is more expansive. Rabbi Eliezer, an early Tana, uh, Mishnaic sage, sage, who often followed the position of Beit Shammai, also seems to have a restrictive point of view, while Rabbi Yoshua, his contemporary, had a more expansive view and allowed for doing certain things in order to prevent uh, monetary loss. Next Mishnah at the bottom of the page deals with another question. The question is when there are competing needs of two people or of two sources in terms of the use of an object or an animal on Yom Tov, whose needs take precedence. So for instance, the Mishnah says that animals or utensils cannot be used beyond the limits, the spatial limit, the tchum of their owner. They can't be used by somebody else and taken somewhere that their original owner could not uh, go to on the festival. We know that there is a limitation of 3,000 feet, 2,000 ama cubits, beyond uh, civilized uh, uh, settlement, that you're allowed to walk on Yom Tov only up until that point. So the owner who might live in a particular place could use his objects or his animals up to that limited space, if somebody else wanted to take the animal further, they would not be able to do it. The Mishnah has an interesting phrase for that. The objects or the animals are keraglei habe'alim. They are like the feet or legs of their owner. As far as their legs of the owner could take them, that's how far they can go. As the Talmud explores these various permutations of competing needs and spaces that people have, it brings up an interesting uh, scenario. This is on Folio B, Amud Bet. 
two people who borrowed a shirt, one in order to go with it in the morning to the study hall, and the other one in order to use it at night to go to a party. How far in distance can they wear the shirt? Uh, each one wants to go in a different direction. If the directions don't end up uh, being within the limitations of the trum, so which one can go as far as uh, they need to go? And the Talmud says, well, they have to actually defer to each other, and if one person's 2,000 cubit uh, distance is uh, compromised by the other person's 2,000 cubit distance, then he loses out and the uh, parameters of their uh, activity are limited. But what's interesting to me is, the, of course, the, the uh, scenario itself. We have two people who are interested in very different things. One wants to go to the study hall or to the synagogue in the morning wearing a nice shirt. The other person wants to go that, that night not to the synagogue, but to a party. Um, and yet, the uh, Talmud doesn't blink an eye and uh, assumes that uh, this could be a very uh, 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 common arrangement between two people uh, in uh, partnership. When we look at the Tosefta, which quotes this parallel text, uh, Rabbi Shaul Lieberman, in his edition of the Tosefta, Tosefta Kipshuta, points out that there the text is slightly different. And the distinction between the interests of the two people is a lot less uh, stark. He takes out the word in the evening, so the second person is not interested in going out at night. And he takes out the word to the house of partying. Instead, the words in the Tosefta are that the first person wants to go in the morning to the Beit Midrash, to the study hall or to the prayer hall, and the second one wants to go to a meal, which he interprets based on other sources to mean that the second one wants to wear the shirt to go to the Yom Tov lunch that happens in the middle of the day. Of course, in such a case, what we have is two people who are using the shirt for a celebration of Yom Tov. Nevertheless, we have differences of priorities. One who wants to go to study or to pray, and the other one who wants to go to eat. The page continues with a basic subject that will continue through following pages as well, and that's the question of yesh breira or ein breira. Uh, in uh, traditional circles, this is pronounced breira, and breira means choosing or distinguishing. In contemporary Hebrew, it means having making a choice. And there's a whole uh, uh, history and a, uh, quite a literature on the concept of ein breira, have not having a choice. This becomes a question, for instance, in discussion of uh, ethics of war. When you have a war in which you have no choice but to defend yourself, what are the limits of your defending yourself? In Israel, Ein Breira, there's no choice, is a phrase that is heard very, very often with regard to making difficult decisions and controversial decisions. But in the Talmudic discussion, it's not about making a free choice at this moment. On the contrary, it's about 
whether there's a certain way, whether it's an action by a human being or some other phenomenon, that can take a murky situation and clarify it retroactively. For instance, the case that's given at the end of the page is a case of inheritance. Let's say, to keep it simple, we have two brothers who inherit two fields from their parent. Who gets which field? If there hasn't been any uh, stipulation to that effect in the instructions of the deceased parent, then when the inheritance comes through, both fields are equally uh, the inheritance of both brothers. When they decide to sit down and each one agrees to take field A or field B, at that point, the question becomes, yesh breira or ain breira? Do we say that the clarification of the situation now works retroactively, and all along field A was meant for brother A, and field B was meant for brother B? Or do we say ain breira? No, there is no retroactive clarification. Whenever it is that say they sat down, a minute later, six months later, whenever it is that they decided that brother A takes field A and brother B takes field B, that's when everything has been clarified. And that means that the clarification of the ownership of the fields was done by the brothers and not through inheritance. The Talmud has, as a result, a halachic uh, difference that issues from this. And that is, for instance, that every 50 years at Yovel during the Jubilee year, fields are supposed to go back to their original owner. If we say, yesh breira, then field A's original owner was brother A, because the, the deal that they made retroactively clarified that the, his inheritance all the time was field A and not field B. And brother B owns field B. But if we say, ain breira, that there is no retroactive clarification, then both of them are equal owners of both fields, and they have to redistribute the fields again every 50 years. We'll continue discussing this concept and other concepts as they follow in the next pages of the Talmud. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.